Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. This episode was sponsored by the PVS Studio team. It promotes static code analysis methodology in general and its PVS Studio tools in particular. Static code analyzers allow you to find bugs in source code at the development stage. This helps to reduce the price of fixing them. PVS Studio performs code analysis and issues warnings on the fragments of code with a high probability of having bugs and potential vulnerabilities in them. The tool supports C, C++, C Sharp, and Java, and it can work with Visual C++, GCC, Clang compilers, and some of those used for embedded systems. The analyzer works on Windows, Linux, and macOS. PVS Studio can both be used as a standalone tool and integrated with Visual Studio, IntelliJ IDEA, SonarCube, and so forth. In the show notes, you can find links to the PVS Studio website and the article, Technologies Used in the PVS Studio Code Analyzer for Finding Bugs and Potential Vulnerabilities. Software developers get burnt out. A lot. Whether it's because of constant JavaScript framework churn, working for companies that have a culture of overworking, or because of being managed by people that don't understand development you are almost certain to encounter burnout at some point in your career. Burnout is insidious, both because it happens when you are doing everything right and because burnout destroys the tools you need to recover from. We've had several episodes about this because this is such an important topic. And a lot of times, burnout is caused by poor boundaries, especially with your job. In this episode, we're going to discuss some of the specific things you should be doing to make sure that your job doesn't burn you out. While in the past, we've had these episodes about ways to avoid burnout over the long term, this is intended to be more about what to do when you can tell it's approaching. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Well, my new job is kind of solid now. And so like I'm working a full day remote. Plus, I have some contract work coming in. Plus, I'm working on the second book. Plus, I have speaking engagements. Plus, I finally got copies of my previous book. And so I've got to do some kind of promotional stuff with that, too. I owe you a book. I know. (laughs) I see where you put that in the uh, show outline. Yeah, that's subtle, man. Very subtle. Very subtle. Well, hey, so now that you have your copies of your book, why don't we do a giveaway? That's a thought. We could do that, actually. You guys heard it right now. We're going to do a giveaway. What do you want people to do to get a copy of a book? I have no idea. <laughs> you and I need to talk offline about that. But like next week, let's have something. And, you know, so everybody just kind of be listening for next week's episode. And we'll talk about it on there. Yeah. So next week, we will let you guys know what you can do to get a free copy of Will's book that we have been talking about for the last two or three weeks. So how about you? What have you been up to? Well, I finally got my tattoo cover-up finished. Took four sessions, and I have one more that's touch-up work in a couple of months, just sort of once everything heals, he's going to come in and you know, darken the darks and brighten the brights to make it a little bit more contrasting there. So the actual 
Celtic cross jumps out from the background that we have. My arm is a bit sore now because, you know, the last session was just Tuesday night and we record on Thursdays, which is quite nice. I had it scheduled for Thursday because that's just when he was available. And then I got a call last week saying, hey, he's had something come up, but we had a cancellation on Tuesday. Can you do it Tuesday night? And I was like, yes, I can. That makes my life so much easier because then Will and I don't have to reschedule our recording night. It just made everybody's lives easier to do that. So it was good. Went in there, had a good time. I just uh, happened to avoid those people that like to slap you on the arm. I posted it on social media so most people would know. Of course, there's that one guy at church who comes up and just, you know, because he's just a friendly guy and he's more outgoing than I am. And he just reaches back to slap and I jumped out of the way. I'm like, dude, whoa. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But he was very apologetic. He's like, I'm so sorry. I saw it on Facebook and I just completely forgot about it. I'm like, man, that's all right. I understand. You get excited. You want to be like, hey, man, what's up? So that's cool. School's going really well. I'm enjoying the logic puzzles of discrete. We're only a couple of weeks in, so I'm expecting it to get a bit harder. Though for my only class this semester, it's kind of fun. I enjoyed logic in college, and it's kind of nice not having to deal with the English language and logic, where I can just deal with like math. Even the word problems, she lets us put in variables for. Nice. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. It is so much fun. Yeah, we've got a new book for book club coming up. Yeah, I saw that, and I have actually read this book, and it is good. It is good stuff. So... The book we're talking about this month is Algorithms to Live by the Computer Science of Human Decisions. This is by Brian Christian and Tom Griffiths. And it's an interesting book that I just recently started listening to on Audible. And it looks at various algorithms and mathematical problems and how they can be applied to our daily lives. Now, the authors come from a computer science and cognitive psychology background. And they break down various algorithms used to solve problems in computer science and apply them to our daily lives. Now, since Will has read this book too, going forward this month, we're going to have some fun discussions as we dive into it. And we'll have a link to it in the show notes. Who's talking to us this week? Well, we got an iTunes review from Bleestein. More than dev. I love the conversations BJ and Will have that go beyond development activities. The way they share their personal examples of having to rely on their interpersonal skills is very refreshing. Their technical conversations are always on point, but if you're a seasoned dev, you'll find comfort in hearing these two talk about navigating the same tough moments all projects have outside of their development activities. Thanks. That really is an awesome review. We appreciate that. Send us an email to waterbottle at completedeveloperpodcast.com with your contact information because we've got a complete developer water bottle just for you. Now, guys, I've been a little remiss on getting out those water bottles. So if you have not received one, I have not forgotten about you. The semester started. I've been a bit busy just with that and everything else. I will get those out in the next week or so. So if you hear from me in a couple of weeks and you haven't gotten your water bottle, then let me know. 
If you'd like your very own complete developer water bottle, leave us a review on iTunes or comment on the website or any of our social media. We post all our episodes to Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter, and we're also on Instagram and Tumblr. You can join the conversation anytime via Slack by going to slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. Burnout is an extremely common phenomenon among software developers. While we're unlikely to ever truly stop it from happening, it's a lot more common than it really has to be. Much of the problem is due to the way that developers approach their jobs and how they keep a balance between their jobs and the rest of their lives. On average, developers don't do a very good job of keeping work from taking over their lives. The consequences of this are stark. While the statistics on developer burnout rates vary nearly as much as the definition of burnout itself, most of us can offer anecdotes of how some people we know have burnt out and left the industry. Further, if you've been doing this very long at all, you likely have a story or two of experiencing burnout yourself, possibly to the point of nearly quitting. Avoiding burnout is critical to having a long, successful development career. Further, you can't rely on anyone, especially your coworkers and employers, to keep it from happening to you. While some of them might care enough to help you out, relying on anyone other than yourself for this is really dangerous to your career. Further, again, you'll also find that most companies are completely unsympathetic to you when you get burned out, especially if they were the ones that caused it in the first place. Really, you can only rely on yourself. If you feel yourself approaching burnout with what you're doing, this episode might help you avoid it when you're already closer than is really comfortable. Yeah, so let's talk a bit about how to tell if you're kind of getting towards that burnout phase. You know, there's some warning signs, but let's go into kind of what burnout is, kind of our operating definition. The first thing is that it's characterized by physical and emotional exhaustion. So this is stuff like you cry easier if you happen to do that. Neither of us really do a whole lot of crying. We're more angry souls than we are crying souls. Yep. Yeah. So if you've got, you know, you start getting a lot more anger issues, you get kind of more despair. Another thing that will happen is you'll get cynical and detached. So you're just like, hey, it's always going to be a screwed up dumpster fire and I'm not going to fix it. You know, when you start seeing that come in at work, that's a real bad sign. Yeah, I mean, remember when I was getting really cynical and curmudgeonly? Do you have a particular time window that you would like to discuss that <laughs> when you were getting that way? <laughs> Specifically, recently at my job. Well, not super recently, but a few years ago when I got passed up for the promotion. Yeah, I was going to say, if you can give me a range of a couple of months, then yes, I can tell you all about it. Yeah. Because you and I both have that tendency. Yeah, but this is the way that Will and I tend to act when we get start getting burnt out. And at that point in time, I was. Yeah. And I didn't have... It wasn't so much that my job was requiring too much of me. It's I was putting too much on myself. Yeah. And I had that same problem this spring. Yeah. And, you know, ultimately, that's part of the reason I left the job that I was at. Mm-hmm. Because I was at a point where I just could not, you know, I couldn't get anywhere. I felt like, and you get to where you feel really ineffective and that you're not accomplishing anything. You know, it's like the upsides are not showing up and the downsides are. Yeah. And it's a feeling, but in part, it's the way you perceive it. Yeah. Like you don't see the good that you're doing. You don't see the effectiveness. All you see are the problems. And that's the sign of burnout is when you're not seeing the good. Right. 
Now we're going to talk kind of about what burnout does to you. And really, it causes you to feel tired most days without any physiological reason. Yeah, I can usually tell if I'm approaching burnout based off of my coffee intake. Mm -hmm. Although, like working from home, it doesn't seem to be the same. I I do drink a lot of coffee when I do work from home just because it's something to do. (laughs) You know, like to be honest, like, you know, you're like, oh, I feel like I should get up and walk around and there's a coffee pot there. So I get some more coffee. But if I'm going into an office and I'm getting more than five cups of coffee in before two o'clock in the afternoon, that's usually a sign that I'm probably approaching burnout. And I did that all last fall and all this spring. Mm hmm. Another is it damages your ability to sleep. Uh, This was an issue. Well, you know, with Will, it's because he's drinking so much coffee. But uh, for other people, it could be that you are not sleeping enough or that you're sleeping too much. Like they both kind of fall into this. It makes it maladaptive sleep. It's not healthy, not restorative sleep. It's reactive sleep. Right. Well, we had the episode about sleep recently and you're not really getting down into the deeper levels. So it's, yeah, you're staying at stage two, maybe getting a little bit of stage three for like enough to keep you going, but not enough to feel rested. And the thing is, you may not get enough sleep at all, or you may get too much sleep and never get down into that rest. And that's why your body wants you to sleep more. But it's really frustrating. I remember this was one of the things that I was dealing with then too. Like the last time I went through kind of a burnout thing. Yeah. And I've also noticed with me that there's, I seem to spend a lot more time trying to wake up and trying to go to sleep. Yeah. So even if I add time, I can't get there. Mm -hmm. That's also extremely frustrating. I mean, another thing it does to me is it completely destroys my concentration and my ability to pay attention. Yeah. I've had plenty of meetings where I just didn't hear anything that was going on, you know, and it's like, I'm not sleepy. I'm not thinking about anything else. I'm just a blank slate in the meeting. And when I get burnt out, that becomes very, very pronounced. Like if I'm still like drawing squirrels and stuff on my notepad, I'm still engaged. But if I'm just sitting there, I'm not. It also makes you sicker more often. And this could be because of the lack of sleep or it could be the lack of self-care. I also think it just kind of damages your ability to take things just in general. Mm-hmm. I've noticed that as I get burnt out, you know, I'll grind my teeth at night. I'll have eczema break out of my hands. But the other thing that will happen is that I can't take pain mm-hmm. as well. And so like if I do work out and I, you know, overwork a muscle or something, you know, like how it normally hurts and you're kind of like walking around, you're like, okay, I can, I can handle this. You know, if I'm already burnt out, I don't have the capacity to handle it as well. Yeah, your ability to focus on other things and ignore the pain isn't there because you're just so, ugh. Well, you're focused on everything that sucks. And one of the things that sucks is being in pain. Right, yeah. Another thing that burnout will do to you is it will make you anxious and it'll hurt your appetite. Either make you overeat or undereat. This is sort of like the sleep Mm -hmm. thing where you have maladaptive strategies related to basic physiological needs. Yeah. And it hits you there. So, and I've had both ends of that. I've had the thing where like, I just ravenously hungry all the time or where I don't eat for a couple of days. Yeah, that makes sense. And that also plays into the making you feel sicker as well. Now, if you've got a little bit of a psychological background, you recognize most of the things that we have talked about here because all of these are symptoms of depression. 
Yep. And burnout tends to lead to depression. It's one of those things where you are feeling a certain way. And it's like the idea of fake it till you make it. If you smile a lot, you'll start feeling happier. If you're going through burnout, you're already showing all the signs of depression, even though you're not, may not be clinically depressed. Your mood may not be at that point, but it's going to get there because you're already living that. Yeah. Another sign of that is a lot of anger issues. And a term that I remember getting praise in my graduate practicum for knowing the definition of is anhedonia. Yeah, like where the fun stuff isn't fun. Yeah. Yep. Yes. It makes it so that you don't enjoy pleasurable activities and you're kind of apathetic to the world. Yeah. You can't ever like relax and have fun at all. Mm -hmm. Like it's like, okay, you're going to a party and you should be having a good time and you don't. And it's with people that you actually like hanging out with. Mm -hmm. How hard is it to recover from full-blown burnout? It can easily cost you your job and your career. Just, you know, as a reality check, I have been through some pretty serious episodes of it a couple of times. One time I actually remember talking to my neighbor about how hard it would be to get into plumbing. To just get away from all the tech stuff. It's a very real thing. People leave this industry all the time because of it. It can also cost you your family and close friendships because the people around you just get tired of the cynicism and they don't know how to deal with you because you're always like that and you're always grumpy and you're always in a bad mood. I was lucky enough to have friends that knew that wasn't my normal state of being. You're like, all right, you got to snap out of this, bro. Yeah. But I mean, you and I both have you know some former friends that we stopped hanging out with, especially in college, that were always like this. Mm-hmm. You know, that were burnt out with college, and it was always a negative conversation, and we stopped hanging out with them as a result. Yeah. I mean, this can really cause a significant rift in your family. Mm-hmm. Additionally, it can also ruin your health. I mean, if you're stressed out all the time and you're drinking coffee in the mornings, you're drinking beer at night, and you know you're not sleeping enough and you're not exercising and you're not taking care of yourself like that catches up with you i mean the older you are the quicker it does it the other thing speaking about the beer at night is that it can lead to substance abuse problems and this isn't just in the tech industry like i'm familiar with the medical industry mostly other than tech and i've seen so many doctors and nurses and psychologists who end up with addictions and problems with that. Like when I was working in addiction therapy, that was a big thing. Like one of the psychiatrists that I worked with, that was his specialty. Yeah. Was professionals with addictions. Yeah. And I also knew a doctor too, who did a lot of work in that area. And it was just amazing how much of it there was. I think a lot of it too, is that, you know, we're in a profession that people, you know, that has a lot of stress, but it's not acknowledged enough. It's sort of like being a postal worker in the 80s. It's the mid-level stress where people aren't really aware of it. And so a lot of mitigating plans are not really there. Yeah, that's true. Let's get into some of the things that you can do to keep your job from burning you out. First off, you can celebrate accomplishments, not the amount of time it took to get to them. Yeah. So The worst way to measure any programming task is by the amount of time it took to do it, which is why it's crazy that we have 40-hour work weeks. 
you know, for a lot of things because the work will expand to fill the time that's available for it. Mm-hmm. You really never want to be in a situation where productivity is measured by butts and seats because being a top performer then means giving your life away. You've only got one butt. And so like it, this is not going to scale unless it stays in the seat longer. What is that saying? Nobody ever got to the end of their life and said, you know what I regret most? Not working more. Yeah. You know, the thing is, is this kind of work dynamic where you are judged based on the amount of time that you are in a seat. It's set up where it essentially incentivizes the least productive person on your team to waste time during the day because they can just stay later. Yeah. It's no big deal. And it doesn't hurt them, but everybody else, it does hurt because you're always going to have that one person on the team that doesn't really have anything else going and they can waste half the day and then stay late and it's completely fine. You do not want to play into that dynamic. You want to be especially careful how you personally measure this as well. Where it really hurts people is when they tend to define hard working as long working. Yeah. And you and I have talked about this and I've talked with some of the junior developers I've worked with as well about you can work harder and smarter and get more work done in less time. Yeah. And by the way, avoid some of the work. (laughs) You know, it's the other thing. I worked for a company that my first week there, one of the senior management folks was telling me, now this is going to sound crazy and it sounds more crazy the more you think about it. They wrote up two of their employees for working more than 96 hours in a week. Like the more you think about that, the more messed up that actually is. It's like not only did they work more than 96 hours and they felt like they had to, but you disciplined them for that. And that was the cutoff was 96 hours. That. Uh, hang on. Give me just a, a <laughs> yeah, do quick the math second here. That. Let me do the math here. Seven days a week. 13.7 hours a day. Seven days a week. No days off. And you had to drive into the office, which was located out in Smyrna. Smyrna or Laverne? Well, if you lived in Smyrna, you were fine. Yeah, but if you lived in Bellevue, not so great. Yeah. So I was just thinking all the stuff I do. I don't think I spend 96 hours a week on... Now, mind you, here's a list of the things I'm doing right now. I work full-time. I have a podcast. I do public speaking. I volunteer at my church. And I'm in grad school. Yeah. All five of those things, I don't think I spend 96 hours a week on. I don't think I get north of probably 75 total. And I think it's lower now without the commute. Yeah. And I've got a pretty heavy load. You know, people are usually surprised by how much I'm doing. I'm like, 96 hours a week. You know, I mean, you're looking at that and going, okay, when does this person see their spouse? When do they see their kids? When do they go to the bathroom? You're starting to get to the point where it is crowding out everything else. And that company had major burnout problems, you know, all over the place, obviously. Well, I mean, so far as the bathroom thing, it's, you know, boss makes a dollar, I make a dime, so I poop on company time. Yeah, exactly. And that's really probably what a lot of those 96 hours were, was not yeah. being effective because you're not incentivized to it. Well, you're not incentivized to it. And also, when you work that much, you're not going to be effective. No. And that's the other thing. It, measuring by hour means that you do not do things efficiently. No. You know, the better measurement is how much you can do in an hour. Mm-hmm. Or say, okay, we have a fixed work day. How much can you get done during that time? You know, effectively and correctly. No. That's a better measurement. 
you know, the thing is, it's really easy to point out this misalignment of incentive structure as opposed to asking for shorter hours because you can go, hey, look, you know, you're incentivizing your employees to overwork themselves and produce maybe not as good of a product. And so if you point that out, you can maybe get around it a little bit easier than you can if you just go, hey, everybody ought to have shorter hours because employers don't listen to that, in my experience. That said, you do need to be willing to push back on management for saner working hours if this comes up. You might be doing this alone, but it is still better than getting burnt out. When I've had to do this, I have gotten pushback from some of my best coworkers. This is not a thing that you do that gets pushed back from the crappy coworkers. It's a thing that you do that gets pushed back from the type A go-getters that get stuff done. They get really frustrated by this. Yeah. Unfortunately, you're going to have to do it if you want to have any kind of life. You know, there's always people there that don't realize that they haven't been burned yet by this attitude. And so you're going to be arguing with those people and they tend to be very focused. They tend to be very good people, but they're wrong on this one. You know, I remember having a conversation one time about, hey, I can't work late on this day because that's the day we record my podcast. And I got pushback about it. It's like, well, does your podcast pay you? I'm like, no, but neither does the person who you said it wasn't a problem that they go spend that time with their kids who are playing sports. Yeah. So my hobby should not be discounted any more than their hobby. That's active workplace discrimination at that point. Yeah. So, yeah. And once you start kind of edging that, all of a sudden the HR people get real uncomfortable and you get your way. Yeah. <laughs> so next, you need to take more breaks. When overloaded, it's tempting to think that you can just work harder to get things done. I mean, I remember when I first started my very first job not working with Will in tech. I would get really frustrated, and uh, apparently I slap the sides of my seat when I do this. I've been told by a couple of people I do that. But I would get really frustrated, and my lead developer sat in the cubicle right in front of me. And it would be, that was a couple of times, it was like 1.30, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And I was a contractor, so I got paid hourly. And I'd just be getting frustrated and frustrated, and he'd just stand up, he'd turn around, he's like, go home. I'm like, man, I, I can't. He's like, no, bill us for the full day, but go home. Because I know you go home now, you're going to think of something, and in the morning, it's going to be solved. It's like, if you stay here the rest of the day, you're just going to be frustrated all night long, and it'll be two days before it gets solved. Yeah. Every single time he was right. Every single time he was right. Yeah. And... Like you can push harder for a really short period of time sometimes and get away with it and it might even help. But most of the time you just make mistakes mm -hmm. when you do that and they catch up with you. I've worked on code bases where the management kind of forced this on the employees. The employees were always stressed and you could tell that they made stupid decisions under duress repeatedly and you're constantly trying to get out of the corner that they painted you into. It's definitely a real thing. The other thing is that failing to take breaks is really rough on your body. You know, repetitive strain injuries, they are absolutely not a joke. I've done the thing where you type for 12 hours a day and you sit at a desk and you just go full throttle and you will start having pain between the knuckles on your hands, especially, or in your forearms, depending on how you rest your hands on the desk. It'll absolutely destroy it. And the thing is, 
that extra hour of work that created that pain, taking an hour off doesn't make it go away. You got to take several days off for it to kind of calm down and for the irritation to go away. So don't discount that. You've got to be able to get up and move around. And if you don't, you're going to get more problems, not fewer. Changing your environment a little by taking breaks makes it easier to be effective when returning to work. Ideas for solving problems often come during walks or casual conversations with other people. This is what I was getting at when I was talking about my lead telling me to go home. If your environment is particularly dysfunctional, breaks are also a good time to look for other options. Yeah. (laughs) One time I had a phone interview and I stood under a pine tree in an old graveyard while it was pouring down rain and talked on my cell phone and did a phone interview. I didn't get that job, but I got really, really close. (laughs) And sometimes that's what you need too. I mean, if you're completely overstressed and you're done, that may be something that's worth doing. So what do you do if management doesn't like that you take breaks? Uh, You do what I did. You look for another job. This attitude from management that, okay, you know, I get it if somebody's like taking, you know, five breaks a day. And I worked with one guy that was talking like how he walked like four miles that day. And I'm like, it's two o'clock in the afternoon. And we went to lunch together. So I know you didn't walk during lunch. (laughs) You know, like if you're doing that, yeah, that's a problem. But if management doesn't like the fact that you get up and you walk around a little bit and then you sit back down and you go to work, that is indicative of other problems. Specifically, they don't know what you actually do. Yeah. They don't realize that it's a thinking profession, not a typing profession. Even for someone who is in a typing profession, you need to get up and move around. Otherwise, it's unhealthy. Yeah. Otherwise, it's going to be on the employee health plan. But a lot of times this indicates that they expect to fire you before you become a significant cost. Right. Next, don't do work after hours unless it's an emergency. Yeah. And bear in mind, this is specific for the case where you can feel that you're about to hit the wall as far as burnout. I'm not telling you whether to work or not after hours. I do think it's a bad idea done very often, but sometimes you just may kind of feel the vibe and be like, yeah, I'm going to knock this thing out, whatever. But a really common cause of burnout is having the rest of your life regularly interrupted by problems at work. Yeah. Constant interruptions for work while at home Don't just take away from the time that it takes to deal with them. They also tend to make you hesitant to do other things that are enjoyable because they might be ruined. Yeah, like I've worked with, especially tech support people, that they're like, okay, you're on call this evening. Okay, cool. Am I getting paid for this evening? Well, yeah, you know, the phone rings and you take a call. And it's like, well, but they can't go watch a movie. They can't go on a date. They can't go out to dinner. They can't do anything. They're just stuck there sitting by the phone waiting to get interrupted. They need to get paid for the whole time. I completely agree. Though most of them just sit there and play video games, but you know. Yeah, and that's what these guys did too. But even so, it's like, hey, what if you're on a raid? You know? Yeah, that's true. Also, due to the lack of downtime, you'll find that other parts of your life start falling apart as things like family time, exercise, and sleep are interrupted. It's really interesting that you put exercise in here because I've recently moved my exercise to the mornings. Me too. Because when I first moved down here, I didn't have a lot going on. Like I was going to church and I had a couple of friends there. But as I have been down here longer, I have made more friends. I've gotten more active, especially at my church, but just more active in general. And now I'm doing a lot of stuff in the afternoons and the evenings. 
And so that time that I was going to the gym every day, like I kind of need that time to do other things. But early mornings, you know, I can wake up an extra hour early and it doesn't really phase me. Like late night stuff, I wouldn't do anything. I was just sitting watching TV. I can go to bed an hour early or get up an hour early and go to the gym. Yep. I've had exactly that same experience. The only real downside is, you know, I, I get home and I have to clean up before I try to work because I smell like a goat herder. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah, it's really valuable. But you know, the thing is, is when you're not able to work out after hours because you might get interrupted, that really puts a damper on the exercise. And it's the same thing with, you know, you need time with your spouse or your significant yeah. other, you know, to you know just sit and talk. Or your video games if you're single. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm just it really doesn't matter how you structure your life. It's just that that part of your life, work does not belong there. You need downtime. You need time away from it because otherwise you're not going to be as effective. Yeah, and eventually you're going to have to take days off to catch up on sleep or be sick or deal with family problems. Yeah. I've known plenty of people who have overworked when their kids were young. And when their kids were teenagers, they started working normal hours, but their kids were messed up. Yeah, I know a guy. He will take an entire day off for an hour doctor appointment. Yep. On purpose. It's because, you know, it's a sick day. I just take a sick day and then I go do whatever I want. That's his like mental health day, whatever you want to call it. But he'll go have an eye doctor appointment at 8 a.m. and then have the rest of the day to himself. I've got a friend that uh, takes the last Monday of the month off because he never uses his sick days and he doesn't like them to pile up. Uh, And so he's just like, yep, that day I'm not here. Just Put it on the calendar till like 2024. Thanks. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, the really valuable thing, though, is to be unreachable a couple of nights a week at a minimum. Mm-hmm. Unless you own part of the company, it is not reasonable to expect you to always be on call. I mean, if you're an owner, you got to deal with stuff that you got to deal with. So funny thing, last week was Music City Tech and we had the holiday on Monday. I took the day off Tuesday annual leave. And then Wednesday, I had a dental procedure done that took most of the day. So I was out all day for that. And then I was at the conference. Well, I didn't get a message from my lead developer about my performance plan. And so Sunday, I was out actually on my way up to Nashville because we were coming up to go to McKay's and then hang out with Will for a little bit. And I get a text from my boss, like my executive director, like my leads boss saying, hey, she's trying to get this message to you. You need to check your email. So I replied back to him like, hey, I'm sorry. I've been out all week. I'll look at it when I get home. Is it super important? Like, And then I don't hear from him. And I'm freaking out. I'm going, I don't know what to do. I don't know. Should we turn around and go back? Should we keep going? I don't know. And then finally, he writes back. He's like, oh, it's not a big deal. If you can get to it tonight, that would be great. Just be super helpful because it's due by midnight tonight. (laughs) Yeah. And it was just one of those things where because I had listed the conference as training time, my lead developer had gone, oh, training. He can hop on and do this. Well, I had put all my notifications on snooze because I was going to be like in meetings and stuff like that the whole time and didn't even think about it. You know, honestly, if you're not unreachable a couple of nights a week, you're doing your employer a disservice because you're making it so that you are so critical to the system that it falls over when you're not there. Yeah, They do this in financial institutions, too, where they'll tell people, they'll be like, you have to take a week or two off. Yeah. 
every year so that basically so they can catch fraud, but also so that the systems stay running if one of the people is gone. And it's it's important. Yeah. That said, your employer might still not really like it. Again, if this is something that gets expressed, it's probably a good time to start looking. Yeah. At a minimum, you need to insist on extra pay for being on call. We've kind of hit on this a couple of times in this point, but this will at least make the employer feel the pain of having you do that. Never set somebody up where they can ruin your life for no cost. Yeah. Because they'll ruin your life because they're getting some kind of profit out of it. It's an incentive structure thing. Don't do that. So next, you need to have some hobbies and interests outside of work. Like Will and I talk about ours all the time on here because we want to lead by example. Yeah. And show you guys what we're doing. And especially as you're kind of approaching the wall and about to crash into it, it's really good to just go, okay, well, I'm going to go learn a foreign language or I'm going to go learn guitar or I'm going to, you know, you just like up and do something. I'll tell you guys what, when I'm getting stressed out just on a day-to-day basis, and we talked about getting up and walking and stuff. When I'm sitting here at home working and I'm stressed out, I'll get up and I'll go play my guitar for, you know, 10, 15 minutes. I'll play a song or two. And dude, I don't know. Like it takes it takes a lot of focus to play. And just going and doing that, one, I love music. And so being able to make music is so awesome. But also the focus and the effort it takes to do that, that's not related at all to a computer screen. Yeah. Like I print out all of my music, so I don't have a screen or anything. So like not having the, the screen at all in front of me is just great because I go and I'll do that for 10, 15 minutes and I am so refreshed. Yeah. And I do the same thing with my Russian. It's very similar. Either I'll go to like BBC and read one of the articles in Russian or I'll do flashcards or I'll go through my Pimpler mm-hmm. stuff or I'll work on my homework or something like that. And yeah, it's just like you just go and you do something hard that's not tech and then you come back yeah. and you're refreshed. It's great. As a developer, you're probably getting paid well and you should not be in an 80 hour a week job. Mm-hmm. This means that you have time and money to go do this stuff, generally speaking. Even if you don't have a lot of money, you need to set aside time for some hobby. There are hobbies that don't cost a lot of money. Yeah. Like, you know, even playing guitar. Yeah, I do pay for lessons every week and you can get expensive on guitars. One of my coworkers is a guitar player as well. And so he and I, we like to get nerdy on the pedals because he plays electric also. And so like we like to get nerdy and you can get into some expensive stuff with it. but you can also go down to a pawn shop and get a $50-$100 guitar and a book and learn to play. Yeah. There's always a cheap way to do stuff like that. I mean, it's just surprising how cheaply you can do most things. One thing you should do though is make sure that whatever hobby you pick is well away from tech concerns. You know, it's really tempting to have another techie hobby like, okay, I do internet of things. Yeah, I used to do that. Yeah, if you're already frustrated with a computer, the last thing you want to do is try to get Raspbian set up on yet another box. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Beach and I both have you know hobbies and interests outside of tech, especially for this reason, because it really does help a lot. And I would also suggest having a mix of hobbies. Don't just have one. You know, have something that keeps you physically active. Have something that gives you you know kind of a mental or creative outlet in some way, in a different way than what you do in your day job. 
And also try to have something that puts you in contact with non-tech people. I mean, sometimes you're just sick of the people. There is a mental grouping, I guess, of people in tech. People tend to be a lot more alike than they are different in this industry. And so when you get out and you deal with people that work with their hands, a lot of times that's really good for you. It'll kind of keep you sane. So the problem comes in when you hear somebody like us go, okay, get a hobby outside of work. Well, if your work is burning you out, how do you handle not having enough time? And the thing is, if you want a long-term career in tech, you are better off having non-tech interests. Valuable things tend to bleed out from that anyway. A lot of times your lack of time is actually a lack of prioritization. Additionally, if you have other interests, it kind of serves as a break on overworking. For instance, it's easier to stay too long in the office when you're just going to go home and watch TV versus, hey, I've got a commitment with other people and I've got something to go do. I've got to get out of the office now. That latter one is really, really helpful for forcing you to avoid the burnout. I really like your next point you have on here, Will, because we just published an episode today on it, and that is get more sleep. It's really easy to double down on work or on passive entertainment, drinking, video games, all sorts of stuff as burnout approaches. You might just feel like you can get past this one thing and then everything will be better. How many times have either one of us said that? Yeah, I've been, I've been saying it for like three months. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it's just a constant treadmill. Yeah, it, what it usually means is the next thing is going to show up as soon as this one's over. You know, a lot of companies, it's funny, as I'm sort of getting involved in the planning and while I'm not in management, I get to participate with some of the stuff and I'm getting to help them plan things. They don't finish a project and go, all right, we're going to take a break now. They got another one lined up. Yeah, and they got more than they can do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The quality of your sleep impacts the quality of the rest of your life. It's not just about mood and your ability to focus, but sleep impacts your overall health and your mental health as well. And that's the one people tend to miss a lot of. Poor sleep is also an excellent way to suppress your immune system. Which means that in addition to being tired of work, you're literally sick of it too. Yeah, I know a guy who you know has been trying to launch businesses over the years, and you know, he'll get a certain way and then just crash and burn. You know, and he'll get six, eight months into building a new product and start to have customers and start to get market fit, and then just crash and burn. And he's done it over and over again. And it looks like this time he's actually going to pull it off because he went to a doctor and got his sleep apnea fixed. Huh. It was screwing up his testosterone. It was screwing up his ability to focus. It was making him tired all the time. It was making it where he didn't exercise. And all that put together made it where he couldn't launch a product. Hmm. This is absolutely life-changing. If you get this wrong, it's life-changing in a bad way. Yeah. The thing with this is your boss does not get an input here. Yeah, it's none of their business. Now your family, friends, social circle, they do end up getting input in this one. Yeah. If you're really stressed out and you're getting to the edge of burnout, try adding an hour of sleep at night just to see what happens. A lot of times this can kind of keep you from crashing as hard. And if you can't get to sleep, melatonin will help over the short term. You don't want to do that forever. I would also say check with a doctor. 
before you do that, before you do take any kind of drug or supplement, definitely check with your doctor because if you're taking something else, it may interact with it or something in the supplement may interact with it. They may have something better for you. So please check with your doctor before doing anything like that. Yeah, I mean, don't go to two hillbillies for medical advice. Just as a rule, like if you're already there, you get problems (laughs) worse than burnout. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah. Now, another thing you need to do when you're kind of approaching the wall on burnout is be open to other job opportunities. Getting another job will not necessarily cure your burnout, but a lot of times it can really help. Learning about other opportunities just can help you be realistic about whether the problem is just your job or a combination of other factors. Also, if you're getting burnt out, your boss probably notices it as well. And if it's severe enough, you may need these opportunities. Really, you know, on that first point, sometimes just looking makes you feel better. Sometimes just knowing that you can leave helps you to put things in perspective, especially if you're the one causing your own burnout. If you're burning yourself out because you feel like you're going to lose your job and you have no other options, not that either one of us has ever felt that way, Yeah. but if you're feeling that way, finding out the other options out there and that you could get some really cool stuff will help you see, hey, maybe I don't have to push myself beyond my limits to keep this job. Maybe I'm doing too much and actually making it worse. And if I cut back, I will do better. Yeah. You know, I've stayed in some jobs because I looked. Yeah. And, you know, versus just going, okay, I'm done. I'm out of here. I mean, it really does make a difference. The other thing is you might consider other options within your current company. So it's really easy to get burnt out in one role because you've outgrown it. Yeah, that's very true. And this could be as simple as pivoting to a different project. It could also be a good time to learn new technology in case you decide to switch jobs anyway. Yeah, and sometimes that'll make all the difference in the world. It's just being on an upward trajectory with something new. That is so true. That really is. Next, stop wasting time at work. Yeah. And this one, you know, I hate the way this sounds because it sounds like you're accusing somebody. But really, when you start thinking about how much time you lose during a day, that's pretty depressing. Yeah. And it will cause burnout. Like the worst burnouts I've ever had have been because I did not have enough to do at work and I had downtime. Yeah, that makes sense. This doesn't mean not taking breaks because breaks are effective. Well, they're part of work. Yeah, they're not wasted time. It's something we've talked about before about using your downtime appropriately. So we talk about getting a lot of things done and having a lot on your plate. And yet we still both watch TV occasionally and play video games. It's just we use them. We do those activities to relax with that in mind, not as a default. Right. Yeah, and this can mean anything from staying off of your phone during the day to making sure that you are writing code efficiently. I've seen people that will, you know, slowly type everything out. and It's like you've already written a function that does this, or you could learn IDE shortcuts to make this happen quicker. Sometimes working on those kind of things, even though it seems small, can really make a huge difference in your mood. I'm going to throw something out that's not really part of this episode, but this is a great time for code katas. Yeah, it is. This is where Will and I have really put Code Codas to effect. And honestly, I say that's a good reason that I got the job I have now is because 
I was working on being more effective using code katas and just knocked out the whiteboard. Yeah. Also helps that Will trained me on whiteboards and he literally wrote the book on it. Yeah, which is interesting, by the way, because at no time during any of the interviews in this last set did I get a whiteboard interview <laughs> because I showed him the book. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> like that put the end to that. That'll uh, never happen to me again, probably. Yeah. The other thing about wasting time is that it makes it less likely that management will notice you slacking. Like if you don't waste a lot of time, yeah, then they're not going to notice any slacking. Yeah, no matter how burnout you are, if you change jobs, you want it to be on your terms rather than somebody else's. So management not noticing is a really good thing. It's also easier to argue against spending an excessive number of hours at work when you're being effective while you're there. You know, that's a big thing. If you can get more work done in shorter time, then you can argue, hey, I don't need to be here 96 hours because I can get the same amount of work done in 92 hours. Yeah, there you go. Take a half day, go watch a movie. Yeah, that's really not a half day. I guess at that point, it's like a third, fifth. Yeah, it's hard. Never mind. At that point, you'll need a fifth. Yeah. At that point, <laughs> you probably had a fifth before you came into the office. Let's be honest. <laughs> oh, I just couldn't believe that when I heard it. That just blew uh, my mind. So finally, you need to allocate time for working out. While you may be burning out because you feel like you have no time, it's important to make time for regular exercise. I kind of talked about me moving my exercise so that I would have time for it earlier. It's shown in many studies that exercise increases your well-being and decreases stress. We've talked about this multiple times on the show. It also gets you away from the office, away from the TV, away from the screens. Well, it depends on what you do. Like if you go to Planet Fitness, they've got TVs there that you can watch while you work out, but you're still working out. Yeah, I go to the YMCA. There's like old dudes that start talking to you and it's like, Doing leg presses with 380 pounds. I can't talk right now. <laughs> you know, but there's no screens and it's great. I do think people really underestimate how negative TV can be when you're already burnt out. Yeah. And how negative even video games are just basically any entertainment. Like you need to go do something. Yeah. And exercise is a great thing to do for these physiological reasons as well as the psychological ones. Not only do they make you feel better, they also give you something else to do. Now, a lot of time, a big part of burnout is just feeling like there's nothing in life but work. Yeah. You know, the thing is, if you end up leaving your job, you're also better off if you're in better shape. That makes it easier to, I don't know, fit in your suit that you use for interviewing because, <laughs> you know, you got content in your previous job and, you know, you kind of got past the end of the belt notches there. And, you know, you might ought to fix that before you go back out. Yeah, there is that. The other end of that spectrum is where, kind of where I'm at, where I'm like, yeah, I don't have a whole lot of clothes that fit me. But the nice thing about that is I'm now in a better mood than the last time I was actually clothes shopping. And so as I've lost weight and gotten into shape, I've been able to buy the kinds of clothes that I like to wear, which ironically enough is dark. When I'm in a good mood, I like to wear dark t-shirts and dark jeans. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. I tend to wear more dark colors. It's very mood dependent. When I'm in a rougher mood, I tend to wear brighter clothing. Yeah, I don't really wear a lot of... Not all the time. Just like If you see me wearing a bright shirt, that doesn't mean I'm in a bad mood. But if over the course of a couple of months, I'm consistently wearing bright clothing, 
that's when you might go like, hey, you know, it's not a, you know, a blood sugar check. It's an A1C. Right. It's a long-term trend line, not a short-term indicator. Yeah. Cause I remember like right after your divorce, I mean, there was a lot of times you looked like you were about to go to Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do remember that. Yeah. Now that you point that out, it didn't click. I was just like, okay. And now if you look at me, I'm always wearing dark jeans. Of course, those the only jeans I have that fit now because I've lost so much weight that I bought new jeans and I only bought dark jeans. But also like it's dark jeans and usually a black concert t-shirt or my black sound guy t-shirts. Yeah. The only bright t-shirts I have, I have one where I went to a Jimmy Buffett concert and they don't make concert t-shirts in black for Jimmy Buffett. Well, yeah. <laughs> I think that's a little... Uh, I bought the darkest t-shirt I could find and it was tie-dye blue. Yeah. I was going to say, you probably had to look for a while to find that one. Yeah. So one thing I will recommend here, though, is to, if you're going to do workouts, especially in this particular scenario where you're approaching burnout, is to try to get into a class. Don't just do freeform workouts unless you have somebody going with you who's counting on you being there you know, because you're spotting them on the bar or whatever. And the reason for this is that having your workouts at a fixed time forces you to get away from work on a consistent basis and makes it less likely that you'll stay at work later than you need to. Um, And I would try to schedule this stuff for right after work. So it's like, hey, I've got a class, I got to go. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So guys, avoiding burnout when you see it rapidly approaching is critical to having a long career in tech. The sad reality is that burnout is extremely common in this industry and it's getting worse. If you plan on remaining in tech for the long term, you're going to have to avoid letting your job cause you to burn out. While there are many strategies for reducing the risk of burnout over the long term, a lot of us will get pretty close to the edge from time to time in spite of our best efforts. When you find yourself in that situation, you need to react quickly to avoid the expense and misery of burnout. That pretty much wraps us up. Before we close everything out, Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Well, going along with that discussion for burnout, I know that we have people listening to the podcast right now that are going, well, my employer you know, cares about me and they're not going to screw me over and those kind of things. And for some of you, that's true. But I do want to pose a question. What would happen if you died today? And I don't mean that in terms of like what would happen to your family and all those other things. How long do you think your employer would sit there and wait before they replaced you? I don't think it would be all that long if you're actually providing a valuable service. And the thing about this is, is that that's always in the back of their mind anyway. Not that you're going to die, but that at some point you're not going to be there. They will replace you quickly. They're not more loyal to you than your family, or than anybody else in your personal life. And it's really important to remember that because a lot of times companies kind of, you know, play the whole, we're a family game and that's really not what's going on. Yes. They value you. They may even care about you. They may be decent people, even the best companies, you know, the the companies I've worked for that have been the best where my coworkers really did care. And I felt like my management really cared. A lot of times they got bought by people that didn't. And This stuff can change and you do not ever want to put yourself in a position where these people have control over your life to a degree that they can ruin it. And this whole burnout discussion is happening because so many people put their trust 
in companies to care about them more than their families do. And that's really a sad thing. And you do not want to play that game. I've been in this industry for you know 20 years at this point. I've seen a lot of stuff. But one thing I've never seen that has been sustainable is a company or an organization that cares for their people all the time. And it cares more about their people than those people's families do. That is not a thing, nor is it a thing you should expect. This isn't a black pill. Hey, this is reality. I'm here to do a job. If I cannot do the job, I will be removed from said job and somebody else will be put there. That's the economic system. That's the way this stuff works. So don't ever forget that. Don't let go of that fact and take care of yourself first. If you can't take care of you, nobody else is going to do it for you. That's why we have to keep having these episodes about burnout is because we see it around us so much every single day. And I'm sorry for the downer mood at the end, but that's something that's really important to get out there. That's all I got. Stand by for Titanfall. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Stand By for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Catch us each week as we broadcast live, talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions. Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to CompleteDevelopernetwork.com where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities. Thanks for listening. See you next time.